Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you and your family equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church. I want to start off by just talking about uh, the 20, what is it, 2004, the, the 04 Olympics. How do you say that? The 2004? 2004. Why did I say 20? Because I'm just stuck in this thing. Doesn't work. So the 2004 Olympics, uh, anybody, anybody a big Olympic fan? Like those come on and they're watching them and they're like, yeah, what's happening? Like four of you. Okay, okay. This is going to make a lot of sense to four of you then. No, I'm teasing. Uh, you, know, you, you can all keep up. But Matthew Emmons was a shooter, a sharpshooter in the Olympics. And it's this three position thing and they got to shoot all of them. And he was on his very last shot, 2004 Olympics, and he is destined for gold. Everybody else had basically given up because all he had to do was hit the target and he would take gold. It was just, it was a sealed, it was a done deal. So his last shot of the Olympics, he's about to get gold. He gets in position, he aims, he's right on target. Boom, he pulls the trigger and gets a bullseye on the wrong target. He bullseyes the wrong target. And, and some of you are just like, oh, and it was actually mostly this side. I don't know why, but you guys are the compassionate side. And you guys are my people. But anyways, <laughs> any, anyways, how can you imagine what that would feel like, though, of just like hitting a bullseye on the wrong target? But when I hear that story, I'm like, well, basically, that's a whole lot of people in life. In Ephesians, this, this book that we've been in, as we've been going through Ephesians, is meant to lay out and help you and I not hit a bullseye on the wrong target. Not hit a bullseye on the wrong target. As D.L. Moody said this, he says, our greatest fear should not be failure, but succeeding at what does not matter. It's to hit the bullseye and be like, ah, Wrong target. Wrong target. And so we've been looking at the book of Ephesians in our Bibles and really just kind of been going through verse by verse, seeing what it has to say because the book of Ephesians, again, uh, is a little bit special because Ephesians, now the entire Bible, of course, was authored by God and written as down by man as the Holy Spirit inspired man. They wrote, it was written by uh, some 40-ish authors over a 1,500-year span of time. But the book of Ephesians was written, again, authored by God, but written by man, by a man named Paul, to a new church in Ephesus, brand new. And he's not correcting mistakes. He's laying out. He's like, look, this is what it's like to be a Christian. He's like, this is the bullseye. This is what we're meant to do. This is where we're supposed to be headed. This is the goals that we are looking at. This is where we, this is where believers are going and he's laying this out so that we do not end up years later and be like, oh, well, that was a mistake. Don't raise your hand. You graduate college with a degree that does absolutely nothing for you. And you're like, oh, it does not open the door that I thought it would. We were talking to a friend and he's like, yeah, um, I'm about to graduate. And I'm like, that's so, I'm excited for you. He's like, I'm not. I'm like, why aren't you excited? He goes, because my degree does absolutely nothing. 
I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, I thought this, and he kind of goes into it, and he's like, I am four years, and he names how much debt he's into, and he's like, and this is doing nothing for me. He's like, I've got to go back for another three to get anything out of this. And I'm like, well, God does not want, and really, again, Ephesians, he's like, look, I don't want you wasting your life. So we're going to jump right into Ephesians. If you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to jump into what he's talking about here. And he begins by saying, he says, again, he's talking, this part of your Bible is talking to believers, talking to Christians, explaining, trying to make known what this is. He says, put on a new nature, in verse 24, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. He's like, stop lying. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we're all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Now, I want to point something out here. Anytime the Bible tells you to do something, it means you can. It means you can. So I want to read that again. Here's what he said in verse 26. And do not sin by letting anger control you. If the Bible says that I can, then I can. So that means I don't lose my temper. That means I let go of restraint. Because if the Bible says I can do it, I can do it. And you're like, well, you, I don't know about that. Because here, here, Philippians 4.13 says this. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. You can do all things. Turn to the person next to you and say, he's talking to you. So when the Bible says, this makes me excited, when the Bible says, stop letting anger control you, it means that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and that when I pray and say, God, I really want to punch this guy in the face, he's going to help me not. It's like, no, I'm not going to do this. When I get mad and I want to yell, it's like, "Mm, no, I'm not going to do this. When I realize I did yell, I know I made a mistake and I can apologize. I can ask for forgiveness and I can ask the person, like, hey, I shouldn't have done that. If the Bible says you can do it, God will empower you to do it. Because here's what I know. I read, maybe you're not like me, but some of this, I read in the Bible and I'm like, (laughs) how am I supposed to do that? Anybody ever, anybody else read that stuff in the Bible and you're just like, yeah, oh, that'd be fun right? But we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. He says, look, so when we read these things, I hope you get excited that you don't feel like, oh no, but you're like, okay, I can have control over this. I don't have to just give way to anger. I might feel it, but it's not going to control me. Verse 28, if you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work. And then give generously to others in need. Now, some of you caught that. It just said, use your hands for good, hard work. Ours, you and I are in a society here here in the States where most people's goal in life is to not work. Like, that's it. They're like, I just don't want to work. Like, one day I'm going to make enough money that I'm not going to work. I'm going to invest so that at some point I don't have to work. 
But the Bible says, use your hands for good hard work. Like, I know work is a four-letter word, but it's not a four-letter word. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like, it, it's, it's not. Work is a good thing. But this goes back to that aiming at the right target. It says, good hard work. What you and I are meant to have is meaningful, making a difference work. Not just plugging away at something that has no eternal consequences whatsoever. Now, some of that I do understand that, that there's a, we have to kind of like transfer, where we do something that's kind of meaningless, but then it allows us to follow God's call because it funds what He's calling us to do. It funds our life. It allows us to take care of our families. We transfer. There's a transformation that has to happen because the work itself, in itself, doesn't really build the kingdom of God. There's not a lot of deep spiritual meaning in it. But yet, as a result of it, we can take what we're given in return for what we give, our time, our energy, our knowledge, our resources, whatever that may be, and then we can use that to be a blessing and to build the kingdom of God. But work is not a four-letter word. It is not a four-letter word. If we go to the Bible, Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, if you, if you read your Bible, this is the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden is paradise. When God, the Bible says that when God created the heavens and the earth, that he put a garden and there he put man in the middle of this just beautiful garden. But guess what? Genesis 2.15, it's paradise. Adam is alone, and God gave Adam a job. It gave him a job. It says this, Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took man, put him in the garden of Eden to work. There's that, there's that word again. To work it and take care of it. I think it's interesting to note that, that Adam got a job before he got Eve. I mean, I mean just, just, just throwing that one out there. I'm throwing that one out there. One guy, I heard a guy say, he's like, uh, uh, the reason why they're called females is there's a fee for having one, so you'd better have a job. Like, just, you, you need to know. You need to know. So our attitude towards work is that it is not a bad thing. I don't want to avoid work. I want to do meaningful work. And I expect to do meaningful work. My goal in life is not to have enough money, enough resources piled away that I no longer work, but to do the things that God has called me to do. If I'm saving up and building up some resource pile, it's so that I can do more of what God's called me to do because I no longer have to just rely on that transfer, that, that transfer of my time to fund it, is I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to give because I have this, because God lays it on my heart. I've got these funds. I'm able to do it. Work is not something to be avoided. It's not a bad thing. It is not a bad thing to clean toilets. I have done it. Now, there's some bad toilets, and you're like, wow, that's bad. But you just do it. Be a janitor, do the work, and do it heartily as under the Lord. It is not a bad thing to work. And there are some Christians, and there's a hyper, and I'm sure none of you are here, but it's just the people watching that I'm talking to right now. But there's some that they get this idea that it's this, 
God's supposed to bless everything, and really, I shouldn't have to do anything, and it's kind of this uh, religious lazy thing where they're like, well, God's just going to supply all of my needs, so I don't really need to do anything. It's, it's that mindset that lends to, well, God's Word says God will supply all my needs according to His riches and glory, and one of my needs is rent, and I could pay rent, but instead I'm going to go buy a toy I want because God will supply my needs. And you're like, mm, no, He already did, and you just, it's gone. Like, He supplied it, and you wasted it. Like, you wasted it. And what we can do is we can hear some stories of how God's supernatural provision comes into play, and we can think, well, am I supposed to rely on, I should just rely on that constantly and forever. And it's like, well, no. You know, as we read the Old Testament, it really is an example of how God works. And if you read through the, the Old Testament, you will see the children of Israel leave bondage in Egypt, they leave as slaves, and God is leading them to the promised land. Okay, it's a picture of you and I that God is leading you and I to the land that he's promised. It's heaven. It's in the future. We're not there yet. And along the way, along the way, what we see is they're out in the desert. And while they're there, God is miraculously providing for them. What do I mean? I mean that quail come just flying in and land there for them to eat. In the morning, there's this thing, it's called manna, it's these flakes, and it's like, it's on the ground, kind of like dew, and they go out and gather it. It's like honey and bread is what they say it tastes like. So God miraculously provides for them. But then the day comes when they enter the promised land. And the Bible says, on that day, the manna that honey, that's not that they would just go out and pick up, and the quail that would kind of just come in, the birds that would just show up when they needed meat and just huge flocks and go out, and I guess they'd just grab it like a chicken and club it. I don't know. I don't think it showed up in like a little bag. I don't think they were at Costco walking out with it. But it just showed up. But the Bible says that on the day that they entered the promised land, that the manna stopped. Because now... They could work the land. They wanted to, God, God's provision kept them to a place that they could work. And when they got to the place that they could work, the provision, the supernatural, stopped. Work is not a dirty word. It's not the end all is to not work. It's to do meaningful work, to not just spend our time where we don't want to, we're got, but we get to, we're like, I want to go on this missions trip, and now I can. I want to be able to give some more time, and now I can. I want to have the resources so that I can support, and now I can. But we can transfer. We can transfer. Not all work is going to be spiritual, but it can all be fruitful. It can all be fruitful. Verse 29, he goes on and he says this, so don't use foul language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Something that kind of jumps out to me in verse 30 is He says, And don't bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. 
wonder what I think of that verse is alluding to. I think that verse is alluding to something very similar to what a mom or dad would feel as they watch one of their kids making bad decisions. Where you look and you're like, you shouldn't do that. And they do it. And you walk up to them and you're like, hey, these are not good people. Let's, let's get you hanging out with somebody else. And they're like, no, 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 it's okay. And they do. And you're like, it's not going to be good. And you see where it ends up. And you're like, I know what's down the road. I see what you're aiming at. And they're like, no, I'm not. And a father or a mother that's looking. And they're like, no. Watching their, their child self-destruct. And it says, it says, and don't bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. It really just paints a picture of our Heavenly Father looking. He's like, I've got a better way for you. You don't need to chase after this stuff that doesn't mean anything. The momentary pleasure that's here and then gone, and then all you want is more and another because it doesn't satisfy. It says, don't do that because God is your Heavenly Father. And he goes on. And we're about to get into now. I think it's kind of like a garden. Okay? Um, it's, it's kind of like a garden. So if you're going to plant something in the ground, you take a seed and you put it in the ground and it grows. Is that, is that how it works? Right? Seed in the ground, it grows. Well, yes. But is there probably a little bit more to it than that? There's probably a little bit more. Probably a little, a little bit more. Because here's the thing. Like, if I just throw some seeds out here in the grass, probably not much is going to happen. Probably not much is going to happen. So what do you have to do? If you want seeds to grow, you've got to tend the garden. You've got to go and you've got to rip out what, what doesn't belong so there's no competition so the seeds can grow. That's what you and I need to do. And so now what he's going to get into is the things that we need to get rid of so that as believers, we can grow. He's like, look, there's some things that you just got to walk away from. Why? Because it's not going to help. If I want my garden to grow, I'm going to go in, I'm going to till it, I'm going to put all kinds of soil in it, I'm going to check what it is, and then I'm going to kill everything. And like we moved a little while ago, so they, they had a garden, and we had a garden at our old, and now we had this new one, and then we had made the, the soil really great there. But then what do you do to move? What do you do? You make everything great, and then you leave. Okay, the garden had just gotten the way we wanted, the house, everything's the way we wanted, and so then we left. I don't know, that's, that, that's weird. But anyway, that's what we did. That's what we did. And so we get the new place, and there's a garden, but they hadn't done anything with it, so we're throwing tarps out there, trying to kill everything and just putting them down there. And then we're like, okay, do we till it? And we're tilling it all up. I'm like, well, I need some more soil, and it's a little mucky. So we're bringing in dirt and all this, trying to make it great. Why? Why don't we just go and throw seeds anywhere? Because they will not be as fruitful. They will not be as fruitful. So he's like, okay, now he's going to begin to show us the things that we need to get rid of. Things that along the way will stop us from being fruitful. So verse 31, he says, get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander. Get rid of all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, one another just as Christ forgave you. Now, sometimes when I read this, I'm a bit like, well, duh. Right? You look, you look at some of this and you're like, there's a lot of well, does in here. But the truth is, as I, 
I think you would agree as you look at the world, you're like, mm, some things I thought that were well, duh, not everybody knows. It's like, it's, it's not all that clear to everyone else. And I now believe that common sense is not so common. Like, it, it's just not that common. He says, get rid of this stuff. He says, get rid of bitter rage, harsh words, slander. Slander, you could, you could say gossip. We've got entire platforms that live, live on this on the internet. That's how they survive. As well as all types of evil behavior. This is be tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as Christ forgave you. Now that's a loaded statement right there. It says, forgive the way that Christ forgave you. Because here's what it says in Psalms. Psalms 103, verse 12 says that he has removed his sin. He has removed our sin. As far as the east is from the west. Now, if he had said north and south, you can travel to the North Pole and then you stop. Because to continue traveling north, you'd have to turn around and go back. If he had said south, you can travel south far enough that you hit the South Pole and then you have to turn around and you go back. But he didn't say as far as the north is from the south. Because that we can calculate, we can find, and we can tell you what the distance is. Instead, he said, it is as far as the east is from the west. And can I tell you, guess what? If you haul out a compass, you better go up, jump up in the air, start flying. Okay, ignore that part, but it's true, but you're going to have to. But anyways, you haul out that compass and you start going east. Guess how far you're going to go? You're just going to keep going and going and going and going and going. There is no end. So God's word, what does it say? It says, how far has he removed your sin? That thing that you remember, that thing that you're ashamed of, that thing that you wish didn't happen or you didn't do? God's like, look, when you ask, he says, he already forgives. What does he do? He removes it as far as east is from the west, which is just, it's gone. There's not a spot that you can find it because he's removed it. That's how much your heavenly father loves you. And when you think about what Jesus did on the cross, because here's what the Bible says. It says that you and I in the situation that we were in, that it caused a break between us and God. In the Old Testament, you look and they're sacrificing some animals. Because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no, there's no remission of sins. But God's like, that'll cover it, but that doesn't remove it. And he just didn't want it covered. You ever just cover up something that's dying, like a dead animal, like a mole that you killed in the yard? You just cover it up, guess what happens? That smell doesn't stay there, it just, keeps, it just, it just ruins everything. God didn't want to just cover it up. He says, I'm going to remove it. So he sent his son Jesus to do what you and I could not do. Jesus came and lived a sinless life, yet suffered and died. And when he did, he died willingly because so that he could be the substitute for you and me. 
He became, he died in my place. So that he could remove that sin as far as the east is from the west. That's what he does. And what we do is we accept it. And then we can receive it. It's available to every single one of us. The Bible says in Romans, says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross and rose again, you will be saved. The confession part, that's just words that you say. The believing in your heart, that's between you and God. That's you just in your heart, be like, God, I know I need you. And I want to be forgiven. And I, I, I don't want to spend my life running after things that do not matter. God, I want to seek after you. Maybe I've been, I've been, I've been drawing a beat on the wrong target, but God, I know it. And I want you. I want you to come in. And here's what he'll do. He'll come in. He'll remove that sin as far as the east is from the west. Then begin to speak to you. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. He wants to begin to show you the plan and purpose that he has for you. No matter where you are, today is your day. You say, today's the day I want to give him my heart. I want to be forgiven. I don't want to carry the weight of my sin any longer. God, I want you. If that's you, I'd love the honor of praying with you. Again, the Bible says if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts, we will be saved. So here's what I'd like you to do. I want everybody just to bow your heads. I don't want everybody just to repeat after me. Let's just all pray together. You're online. This is for you just as anybody in this room. Everybody out loud, say this. Just repeat after me. Say, Jesus, forgive me because I need you. I believe that you are the Son of God, that you came, you lived, you died, you shed your blood so I could be free. And from now on, I'm yours. Forgive me and make me new. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you and your family equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church.